Hey, everybody, it's Reed. You normally hear me, but today I brought along Rick Wilson. Rick, tell the good listeners of the Lincoln Project podcast what we need them to do. Join the union.us. The union is a way for folks to be matched to campaigns and causes and candidates around this country to match your specific interests and skills where it can make an enormous difference. Go to jointheunion.us today. We really think it's using the power of matching people's ambitions and their talents with candidates in a way that really makes a difference. Get involved. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by my fellow co-founder of The Lincoln Project, host of LPTV's The Breakdown, and author of the New York Times best-selling books, Running Against the Devil and Everything Trump Touches Dies, the one, the only, Rick Wilson. Hey, Reed, how are you? Great, and so glad to have you back, as always. Today, I want to talk a little bit about Mitch McConnell's blues. Some of these races feel like they're lining up to be like 2010 for him. But first, class is in session. Today, we're talking politics 101, and more specifically, what Democrats must do to win in 22, or at least give themselves the shot to win in 2022. So let's get to it. You know, one of the things I think, Rick, you, throughout your career, you have a reputation as being one of the hardest hitting creative minds in politics. But going into 2015, you were the tip of the tip of the spear on understanding what it was that not only what Trump was, but how you were going to have to fight it. And it took the rest of us three or four years to catch up. But a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Trigby and Jeff on the show to talk about the different races that we're looking at and that we're targeting for 2022 and the importance those races play in keeping you know American democracy alive and writing the small D democratic future for this country. So now, Rick, with you, I want to talk about how big D Democrats must fight this. So something that we started talking about maybe five, six weeks ago when we saw Rick Scott, who's the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, who put out his 11 point plan for America's future. Two of the big things of which were everybody, quote unquote, pays their fair share, which means taxing about half the country that doesn't pay federal income tax and also sunsetting every law that's ever been passed in the country's history every five years, which also would include Medicare and Social Security. The response to this is the most interesting part, which is the Republican radical right ecosystem lost its mind. You know, it's one of those things, Reed, where there is a certain degree of bravado and confidence the Republican message machine gives its inhabitants, where they know every day they're all going to stay to the same message. They're going to get on one message and they're going to ride it like a damn pony. They're not going to stop. They're not going to quit. They're going to keep at it. And they're going to basically win the day, as we used to say in Bush world, they're going to win the day on one message that everybody's going to carry. Nobody's going to move off of it. And that idea was shattered a little bit with this Rick Scott thing. And it's also breaking a little bit in Florida with Disney where a lot of people have realized that DeSantis got on the wrong side of the equation. It's also breaking a little bit in some other states where there's a little bit of pushback now on some of the edgier cases. But to quote the classic political documentary, Predator, if it bleeds, we can kill it. And so Democrats listening to this, here's some politics 101. When you find a powerful, emotionally evocative issue, do not turn it into a policy fight, turn it into a heart and gut fight. You want to go out there because heart beats head. And the fact that Republicans now are trying to make political hay 
off of the idea that you should starve infant children, immigrant infant children, you should starve them. It's a great emotional issue. The Democrats shouldn't go into whether the formula factory was offline or whether child nutrition programs. No, go right to the gut and the heart and say to Republican and leaning women, your party wants to starve children. The fact that they're immigrants doesn't matter. If you're willing to starve an immigrant baby, it still means you're willing to starve a fucking baby. That's the kind of issue they need to be more opportunistic. They need to be willing to exploit the emotional valences a lot more aggressively than they tend to do. And they need to get out of policy and get into passion because there are fragments of data now starting to emerge that the chaos theory of the Republican Party, where you can always be on message and push any bullshit out there, and if you do it long enough, you win. There are indications now that that's not working as well as they want it to. Democrats should be ready and willing and aggressively exploiting that. We're certainly going to, and we will target suburban women. And, you know, folks, for all the chaos about the Republican Party, there is still a segment of the party, and it's actually a larger segment than it used to be, that is addressable by competent, sane, nuts and bolts Democratic campaigns and campaigners. You can go out and talk to some of these female Republican voters who, dirty little secret, are still either pro-choice or soft pro-life. You can go out and talk to them because one thing they are definitely in favor of is not being cruel assholes. Well, let me ask you that because obviously there was the leak of the draft Roe v. Wade decision written by Samuel Alito a few weeks back, although it wasn't a surprise to any of us that, I mean, it was a surprise that there was a leak. It came out now, but if it's June or July and there's a decision, like it wasn't ever going to be a surprise to us, right? Like we knew it was going to happen. And everybody's like, oh, if they overturn it, it'll be a thing for us. It'll be a thing for us. It'll be a thing for us. But there's a caveat to that. And this is one of those things where I'd love you to talk about, you know, these are hot button issues, but actually when it becomes an issue in reality, right, which is for a long time, the abortion issue was a football that both Republicans and Democrats used to fire up voters and to raise money. On the Democratic side, they've lost the fight. Now, I don't know if they've lost the war, but they've certainly lost a big fight. On the Republican side, the dog caught the car. So in the wake of that leak, as you noted, which I think personally came from the right somewhere to see how it would play. Uh, there's a lot of evidence building up on that regard. It was all a process story. Process, process, process. And, you know, McConnell said at first, oh, it's not going to be an issue in the fall. But then it said it. But in 2025, we may make it a national issue. So he's trying to figure out where to go. But on the Democratic side, it's actually a tougher issue to describe because what you have is the reality of where most Americans are vis-a-vis abortion timeframes. And then you have what well-funded Washington interests in the abortion space or the choice space want you to be. So talk to me a little bit about what we saw you know, with like Chuck Schumer in this vote and how Democratic candidates have to play this. You know, I want to go back into one of my books. And let me just say this to everybody out there as, as Rick is finding his page. Rick's books are the, like the Talmud of the Lincoln Project. <laughs> we give readings. <laughs> the sacred texts. I want to read two things about Schumer and McConnell, because every time I imagine Chuck Schumer swapping jobs with Mitch McConnell, if you gave Chuck Schumer all Mitch McConnell's political mojo, this country would be a really different place right now, and Biden's agenda would be a lot further down the track. In my second book, I wrote, Mitch McConnell is, as always, Mitch McConnell. Love him or hate him, McConnell spanks Chuck Schumer and the Senate Democrats on the daily. He is now, without question, the most powerful and effective Senate majority leader in history. He's dethroned Lyndon Johnson, and that's saying something. 
My Democratic readers are reaching for their smelling salts, but I'm giving you nothing but the truth about Mitch. He's better than you at this. He's better at Senate business. He's better at elections. He's better at shamelessly raising fucktons of money. He looks like a turtle. He behaves like a great right shark, constantly prowling, feeding on the dreams of the Senate Democrats. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because, looping back on the question of abortion, Chuck Schumer had a golden political opportunity on the week of the 10th. He was going to bring to the floor a Senate bill that would codify Roe versus Wade. He couldn't resist the bait from his progressive left to build it into a giant funding bill and a giant health care bill and a giant third trimester abortion bill where all he needed was to hold his caucus and to pull two Republicans or even one Republican, frankly, across the line. If he had put a single subject bill on the floor, and I'm no legislative draftsman, but it could have said the following, it is the sense of the United States Senate that Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. Now, instead, they went off and defended third trimester abortion and anytime, anywhere, federal fund, all the bullshit that the Republicans were licking their fucking chops to have in the bill. Because then they could go to Susan Collins and say, well, Susan, you know, now you're funding partial birth abortion and go to Lisa Murkowski. And folks, if you want to know the other reason that Chuck Schumer is not good at this, and I have another reading from the book of Rick, he's not good at this because he doesn't combine the things that Mitch McConnell combines with his caucus. Mitch McConnell, if he can't persuade you, he will bribe you. And if you want to know why Murkowski and Collins voted for Kavanaugh, it is because Mitch McConnell gave Susan Collins money for a harbor restoration project and gave Lisa Murkowski money for a fucking bridge. He bribes them. Chuck Schumer does not seem to have that DNA in him. And I'm sorry, but political figures, left and right, Republican and Democrat, respond to certain incentives, including giving them money for their state. Is it unethical? Whatever. You know, let's be real. We're, we live in the real world of real politics here. Legislation has always been sausage making. There's always been horse trading. That's literally the whole way it works. But I mean, Rick, just to give you a sense of the political enormity of what Schumer forced his caucus to do, and this is from last summer. It was an AP Nork Center for Public Affairs Research found that 80% of Americans were opposed to third trimester abortion. Now, I don't know if they went into the nuance of life of the mother, you know, those sorts of things. But the point was is that he made them take a vote in the middle of an election year on a 20% issue. That's right. And in most polling, even with, and I'm not debating, folks, the policy of this. Okay, I'm not debating the policy. I'm telling you what the numbers and the political realities are. The average poll for the approval of third trimester abortions, even for rape, incest, life of the mother, is 13%. It is a complicated moral issue. And the way it got framed in this vote was, fuck you, we're doing third trimester no matter what you want. It is a bad look for a lot of Americans, including an awful lot of, and follow along, folks, because it'll go in a circular motion and come back to the top. African-American voters are pro-choice, but they are not third trimester, and they are less pro-choice than white liberals. Hispanic voters, especially in the Rio Grande Valley and South Florida, where you might want to win if you want to take Florida and Texas, you might want to be on your best behavior if you want to win Florida and Texas, they're much less in favor of abortion overall, and they're certainly less in favor of third trimester. Well, and, you know, talking to a partner of ours in South Florida just this week, Rick, I asked about the Roe thing 
and they work predominantly in brown and black neighborhoods in South Florida. And the response I got was, especially from older Latinas, it's a complicated issue. That's the word they use. It's complicated. They don't like abortion. They understand that it is a necessity for some, but it is far from a third trimester thing for them, right? Probably not even a second trimester thing. And this is where I think, you know, this is one of those unspoken things, probably in the corridors of Washington, but Rick, you and I get to live thousands of miles from there, is the sort of unwillingness or inability, I think, of a lot of sort of Acela corridor, Democratic consultants, activists, whatever, to understand that their base, these are base voters, Rick, these are not swing voters, these are base voters, are in many ways far more culturally conservative than where the party gets pulled by progressive activists in a lot of ways. No question at all, Reed. And look, a lot of our listeners who are very pro-choice will grind their teeth and, and pull their hair out. But folks, this isn't, as I obsessively tell people, this is not a question of the policy of whether you are pro-choice or pro-life, however you want to phrase it. It is a question of the raw politics of a meaningful fraction of Americans on both sides of the affair, and the fact that there's a large, uneasy compromise in American politics that has existed now for 40 years, and it's an unspoken and an uneasy compromise. It's why the magical phrase Bill Clinton once used, abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. It was the highest punching focus group line I have ever seen on that subject. And you have to look at where the races are this year. You have to look at the fact that Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin all have a large Catholic voter percentage. They are all states that are much more pro-life than the median. They are older, they are whiter, they are more Catholic. And going in there swinging with the top-line talking points from Planned Parenthood action, even if you just seed the point that all those things are the right position, and I don't necessarily think they are the right position, but that's another story for another day, but even if you see that those are all the right position, the politics and the optics of it are something the Republican Party will exploit and exploit and exploit. So you don't want to have Tim Ryan be in a box where he has to go out and defend third trimester in a white Catholic older state. If you're so obsessed with your one issue that you're willing to burn your candidates down over it, imagine how much excitement you're going to have when Mitch McConnell has three or four seats in the majority, overcomes the filibuster, and passes a national ban on abortion, because that's what will happen. And then let's talk about the piece that we're most focused on typically, which is democracy, to your point. If there is no democracy or if there's an overwhelming conservative Republican majority, like how do you think this is going to go? Not only on choice, but on the environment, on taxes, on the things that Democrats purport to care about. It's all going to go downhill. And so somebody said the other day on Twitter, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was, like if you proclaim to care about democracy above all, but are unwilling to moderate your positions to make them palatable to voters, then maybe you're not that pro-democracy after all. Yeah. And look, again, one of the reasons Republicans want the Democrats in the culture wars is because that is where, as I love to say, Democrats go to die. And Democrats are having a hard time inverting the abortion fight into something that puts Republicans on defense. But the Republicans have made mistakes that can be exploited. You can get into this fight. You can say to Republican voters in that category, we always talk about the more educated women, the suburban women independent-leaning Republican men, the Bannon line voters, a lot of them are pro-choice. Most of them are pro-life, but a lot of them are pro-choice. But they're not abortion cheerleaders. They are like classic Bush Republicans. Rape, incest, life of the mother, Rose, the law of the land. 
But if you go into them and say, hey, they're not just passing that. They're passing a bill in Tennessee that says it's acceptable now for a 12-year-old to get married if her dad says it's okay. They're passing bills that criminalize women who travel to another state to get an abortion. They're passing bills to try to regulate birth control. They're going to overturn gay marriage. And look, just like with Roe, and this is why I want the Democrats to have a goddamn sense of urgency sometimes, just like with Roe, it was never a secret what was happening. For 40 goddamn years, the Republicans said, we will go at Roe. It is legally deficient. We will take it apart. We will pick at the edges of it, just like a shark's in a feeding frenzy. They will pick and pick and pick, and then the blood starts to flow and everything goes. And they will do the same thing. The party is not controlled by rational Republicans. It is not controlled by Mitch McConnell. It is not controlled by Kevin McCarthy. It is controlled by people who have gone completely over the cliff. And not just the crazies. It's not just Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Paul Gosar and all these other fucking idiots. It's also people like Elise Stefanik. It's also people like Greg Abbott. I mean, think about the moral collapse of Greg Abbott. This week, he is out there beating his chest and going on TV and bragging that he's cutting off infant formula to the children of illegals. If you're bragging about that, you can be alienated from 95% of human society if the Democrats will focus on message and get the fuck off of policy and focus on finding a place that isn't rah-rah cheerleading to the progressive base. So, Rick, the other day, Greg Sargent, who writes for The Washington Post, very smart, very canny writer, this is how he described liberals seeing sort of the world. Quote, I am very open-minded about and tolerant of conservative claims that I am personally a part of a totalitarian movement destroying the country. Surely that will exempt me from the guillotine when it arrives. You know, if you want to look at it at scale, look at Florida and Texas. And here's Politics 101 again, folks. You've got a golden opportunity in Florida and in Texas with two guys who are telling you everything about what the future of the Republican Party looks like. It uses and abuses executive power at a degree and scale that is practically unknown in American political history, recent American political history. It is overtly built around a philosophy of cruelty and trolling and vengeance against the political enemies of the state. And it reminds me how much time has been wasted in the Democratic Party by not looking with absolute clarity and absolute cold-eyed, bloody-minded clarity at the fights that happen in Washington and the fights that happen in the states and the fights that happen in congressional districts. There are a lot of chances right now for the Democrats to turn the culture war focus and the focus of this race off of themselves and to run the kind of campaigns they ran in 2018, which is to say campaigns that are about your state and your district, and to turn toward the insanity that's building in the Republican Party because the reason that the Republican Party in the last 24 hours, 48 hours of when we're recording this has flipped their shit over Biden calling them MAGA extremists and MAGA GOP and MAGA Republicans is because it repulses a lot of Americans because they see what's coming. And it's almost like the Democrats don't see what's coming. It's almost like they don't understand that there's never going to be a fucking bipartisan kumbaya ever again if Mitch McConnell takes power. And I, I say this again, I used to hesitate about the filibuster. If you don't think Mitch McConnell is going to blow out the filibuster to kill Joe Biden for two years, get real. 
Well, and you know, Rick, about the voters and the opportunity, there's a survey out that CNN released that said that there are a lot of quote unquote traditional Republicans, Republicans like I guess you and I would have been, who do not like ultra MAGA. The ultra MAGAs have finally jumped the shark on economics. And now these voters are seeing it as a value proposition, which is, are these the values I share? Do I want to sit at a table, literally or metaphorically, with the Camp Auschwitz guy? And the answer is no. We did this in 2020 several times where we confronted people with ads like Flag of Treason. We ran those ads in swing states. We ran those ads in swing districts. And we targeted those ads to Republicans who we were asking the affluent suburban Republican woman or man who they would never storm the Capitol or think that the big lie was real, but they would worry about their taxes going up or their business being regulated or something that is a cultural disconnect with the Democrats. Now, normally they'd worry about those things. You could keep them. We used ads like flag of treason and folks will put it in the show notes. And we will be using the same kind of things in 22 and 24. We use those to wedge out people in the Republican political space, to push them out and make them ask, am I that person? Am I the 300-pound guy who's kicking the door in at the Capitol? Am I the guy with the Confederate flag beating a cop to death? Am I the guy taking a crap in Nancy Pelosi's you know, office? Am I that person? And I want Democrats to build out messages in campaigns where they say, where they force Republicans to answer the question, am I the person who wants to starve kids because they're illegal immigrants? Am I the person who wants to end gay marriage? Am I the person who believes that there should never be any, any exceptions for abortion, including rape, incest, or the life of the mother? Am I the Republican mother who, if my daughter, God forbid, has an ectopic pregnancy that will kill her, am I the person who wants to vote to have that criminalized? and for my daughter to die if that happens. There are a lot of ways to push in this, and it is the core of what I talk about with politics all the time. Heart is more powerful than head. Gut is more powerful than intellect. Everything is more powerful than policy arguments. And it is incumbent on the Democrats to find ways to have those conversations and to start exploiting the flaws in the Republican system. Look, folks, there's some good news out there. The crazies are rising in Republican primaries, and the insanity that is rising in a number of the Senate primaries is something that has got Mitch McConnell and his team extremely nervous. They are not happy campers right now. They are worried, and Josh Holmes and Mitch McConnell, they're losing a lot of sleep because Georgia's increasingly looking like it's going to be out of reach for them. So let's switch gears there, Rick, because you brought up Mitch McConnell, the turtle himself, as I noted at the top of the show, you know, in 2010, Obama's first midterm, you know, there was an assumption that the Republicans took the House. There'd be an assumption that the, the McConnell would retake the Senate. Didn't happen because of Nevada, Indiana, Missouri, Delaware, right, where all these cuckoos who would be probably not even extreme enough or crazy enough for today's Republican Party got slaughtered. And so what you see now is, to your point, you saw with Herschel Walker in Georgia with an absolutely insane primary in Pennsylvania where you have Dr. Oz of Dr. Oz fame and Dave McCormick, the Glenn Youngkin of the Keystone State. You know, he doesn't know who he's going to get, but McCormick's his guy. But in Missouri, 
right, you could have an Eric Greitens, who we've discussed before. In Alabama, Rick, you are writing nasty gram postcards. Mike Durant, the fact that a Republican Senate candidate forged a postcard claiming it was from me, put it on Twitter to gain some traction in an Alabama Republican primary. As you said, it's like, yeah, Lincoln Project, we're fucking Kaiser Sose to these people. They can't believe it. They're like, it has to be a conspiracy by the Lincoln Project. What else could it be? Oh, it could be a desperate candidate trying to save his failed campaign. <laughs> so let's just off the top of our heads, right? Let's say he gets a Blake Masters in Arizona and Adam Laxalt in Nevada, Ron Johnson again in Wisconsin, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, and a Herschel Walker in Georgia. Let's just for argument's sake say that all five of those were nominated. And if you had six, if you had J.D. Vance in Ohio, all six are nominated, all six win. That's a net six loss in the Mitch McConnell Republican conference column. These people line up for not only because they hate McConnell personally and probably for whatever other reason, they line up with Trump. They line up with Hawley and Cruz and Rand Paul and all of these people. So like now the problem with these guys, Rick, is that they're not politicians. They're like the firemen in Fahrenheit 451, right? They just came to burn the thing down. You can't bribe them. They're too crazy, evil, or whatever, and they know the game that you're trying to play with them, and they're not going to let you play it. Look, in 2014, and I was still in the game then, right? In 2014, Mitch McConnell went out across the country, raised a lot of money, went out and selected and funded Republican candidates who would beat the Tea Party, and he beat the Tea Party like a rented mule. He was not going to tolerate it. He was not going to put up with it. He was going to get his majority, and he was going to not have these insane people around him. But he failed that mission this time. Mitch McConnell's out talking to corporate America, raising tens of millions of dollars from corporate America, and it's big companies like Google, and it's companies like Facebook, and it's companies like Microsoft, and it's companies like Toyota. And he's saying, write your check to me. Because I'm going to control the Senate, and I'm not going to let the crazies take over. Same thing Kevin McCarthy's doing. It's a lie. The crazies are taking over. McConnell loses two different ways. If he has the majority, he will now have a majority with a plurality that are MAGA insane people and who don't like him. I mean, there are like the big signs and the small signs of the insanity of the Republican Party now. And it's incumbent upon Democrats. It is 101 politics. Keep shining a spotlight on the insanity on the right. It is not the hardest job in the world. I do want to say, Reed, I have a sort of funny small sign of just how out of control the Republican Party has become. So last week, the Republican Party in Minnesota, they had to tell their own convention's attendees because the party is divided between the MAGA insane people and the rump of the old Republican Party and the people that are trying to straddle both camps. But when you have to say to people, you can't bring acid, water balloons, air guns, guns, BB guns, water guns, cannons, squirt bottles, wrist rockets, slingshots, rocks, explosives, bombs, missiles, cannons, flamethrowers, torches, potato guns, dry ice bombs, stick bombs, fireworks, fire extinguishers, cowbells, more cowbell, air horns, fire alarms, personal PA systems, large signs, non-approved banners, drones, blimps, dirigibles, hot air balloons, Radio-controlled aircraft, radio jamming devices, air tanks, strobe lights, lasers, 
high-powered flashlights, beach balls, tennis rackets, ball bearings, BBs, large knives over two inches, hordes of insects. No shit. Animals other than service animals, spray paint, zip ties, excessive tools. I don't know what that means. Irritant sprays or anything else that might harm individuals or disrupt the convention's proceedings. Folks, that's where you should shine the light. That's crazy town. But this is what their party is becoming. The crazy edge of the base controls the party now. And the Democrats should seize the political moment and opportunity to push out against them in a profound and powerful and constant way. I mean, I think that's the other part, too, is, you know, I was on the phone with a reporter earlier and they were asking me about right wing podcasters, Dan Bongino, Tim Poole and all these other guys. And he said, you know, people could say, well, they just have a perspective. And I said, well, yeah. But let's be clear, like they're not arguing about the finer points of marginal tax rates or parts per billion of carbon in the atmosphere. They traffic in lies, in racism, in misogyny, in authoritarian tropes like it's not an both sides thing. And I think that's one of those things, too, where this is a black and white fight. This is a good versus evil fight. It is not complicated. As I said, I think when I had Senator McMorrow on, like when the Ukrainians saw the Russians coming, they didn't try and explain to the Russians why it was in their worst interests to come to their country. They didn't try and reason with them. You know what? If they had, they would have turned around as the tanks were driving by them and saying, but wait, 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 don't you understand? This isn't good for you either. And the Russians would have rolled on and like everybody would have gone. All right. Well, I guess we'll figure out something else. But that's not what politics is, Rick. Politics is the work. You got to do the work day in and day out. It's not easy. It is the fundamentals. It's the blocking and tackling. And look, you know, we work with a lot of voter registration groups around the country inside of the union. You know, join the union.us folks if you haven't done it. We work with a lot of voter registration groups around the country and they need people. And the Democratic Party will spend hours and hours and hours thinking about how they're going to shove X or Y favored policy issue into the debate where they should be figuring out a way to get another 100 people registering 1,000 voters a week each into the Atlanta suburbs or into Brown County in Wisconsin or into Oakland County in Michigan. They ought to be thinking about the fundamental blocking and tackling things. And we've seen this a lot in the last you know, two and a half years now where the Democrats will often parachute people in from Washington who don't match or know the state they come into or they'll think that they're going to pull off some miracle by targeting one group or another. They need to work broadly, efficiently, and aggressively with the fundamentals of campaigning, which you and I both started in the grassroots, running around, doing the work on the ground world of politics. We didn't arrive at the pinnacle of politics by some like you know divine intervention. And it's important Democrats get more people out there in the field doing the voter reg, doing the organizing. It is a really important thing in this day and age. And one last thing for Democrats, I beg you, I know you really, really love certain candidates in long shot places. Focus on the swing states for your volunteer efforts, for your financial efforts, because the swing states are what matters. They are what will decide this election. They are where the action is this time. You know, in 2020, Democratic donors sent $440 million into three Senate races that were unwinnable. You can't afford to do that this year, guys. You can't. You got to focus where it counts. And so into this week's lesson, we could teach this a lot. All right. Well, Professor Wilson, thank you as always for joining me. You bet, brother. Rick, where, if people dare, where can people find you on social media? Well, I'm at the Rick Wilson 
on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, folks, just to repeat, we have two big organizations that you ought to hopefully get involved with. The Lincoln Project itself, I hope you'll follow us on the various social media platforms and join the union.us, which is our site that along with a lot of other groups, we're matching smart volunteers who are impassionate people who want to get involved in key races around the country. We're not just like generically matching it. We're asking folks like, tell us what you're interested in. Tell us what you're good at. And we'll help match them to campaigns and candidates and efforts around the country that really make a difference in 2022 and beyond. Well, amen. And listen, everybody listening out there, join the union.us, lincolnproject.us. If you don't believe me, Believe the Rick Wilson. As always, everybody, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen, on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Rick, as always, thank you for joining me. And gang, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.